Good morning. So good to see all of you this morning, and we have a passel of visitors this morning. And we're so delighted that you're here. I didn't get a chance to speak to everyone because time is getting by, and we've got a lot going on in our service this morning. And I want you to be out when the chimes ring at 12. But it's so good to have you all here this morning and worshiping with us on a beautiful day that the Lord has made. Young Willie Lincoln lay dying in the White House. His distraught father, the president, stood a lonely vigil by the bedside. Then quietly he sent for his pastor to come. And he said, I want you to keep vigil with me and to pray. And they did, and the long hours of the night stretched out. Just before young Willie died, he reached over to the bedstand and picked up an old iron bank as he weakly brought it across to put it in the hands of the pastor. There was a tinkling inside the bank, pennies that had been saved. And young Willie pressed them into the hands of his pastor and said, give these to my Sunday school. Robert Thomas came to the Great Smokies long before there was a Dolly Parton or a Holiday Inn. There were no paved roads, only dirt paths. He had been sent from his native New York to the mission center at Pittman Center. It was a world into which little civilization had come, so remote it was from the land about it. He came to bring healing to the people through his gifts of medicine, but he was a minister above all, and it was with the healing from his hands that he offered the healing from his heart. And he was eager to bring people close to God as he brought to them health. Bit by bit, he began to make inroads into those deep coves and distant ridges of the Smoky Mountains. And on one spring day, word came to him from Dilly Walker's mother that a family that she was caring for with nine children were suffering from an illness and they needed the doctor's care. He got astride his old mare and set off into that distant mist until he finally came to the head of the hollow where Dilly Walker's mother was caring for nine little children whom Robert Thomas soon discovered had come down with the measles. He cared for them and then turned to the mother and said, Are your children in Sunday school? And she said, Why, Doc, there's no Sunday school for them to go to. The nearest church is way over at Pittman Center, and you know how far away that is. We just don't have a place to go. And Robert Thomas said, If I came to you with a Sunday school, would you bring your children? And she said, of course I would. And he said, will you go out and tell your neighbors and bring them in? And she said, yes. And he said, you know, as I came up the road down there, I saw a meadow with a big spreading oak tree. We'll meet there next Sunday morning and I'll have Sunday school for you. And you come and you bring all your neighbors and your children. 
Sunday came. It was a bright, beautiful spring day, more beautiful than others. As Robert Thomas set off on his mare to that tryst with the mountain people, there was a joy in his heart that he had seldom felt. He was bringing to that remote community the presence of Christ in a way that they had been denied before. When he came, he was amazed to see that there were 37 people there, children, adults, young people. They were sitting on rocks, on stumps, and the men folk had even made some crude benches for the older people to sit on. He stood before them and he taught them the Sunday school lesson. He was so filled with the love of God as he looked there into the beautiful mountains that ringed them and these people with open faces accepting the truth of God. And finally the lesson had been taught and he had a prayer with them and then he stepped back waiting for the people to leave. But no one moved. They all sat there rooted. And he wondered why no one left. And finally Dilly Walker came over and whispered in his ear and said, Doc, ain't you forgetting something? And he said, well, what is it, Dilly? And he said, you didn't take up the collection. He said, well, Dilly, will you take your hat and take up the collection? And with a broad smile on his face, he took off his hat and he walked along and put it in front of everybody who was there. And he brought it up and put it in front of Dr. Thomas. Dr. Thomas prayed a prayer of gratitude and Dilly said, it's a heap of money, Doc. And Robert Thomas walked away and emptied the hat in his hand and he counted out the coins 13 cents an impoverished people giving what they could he reminded him of the widow's might and he said that he walked hastily away from them and leaned against his old mare and tears filled his eyes and when he finally was able to compose himself he pulled an envelope out of his pocket and he wrote building fun 13 cents and there on Shields Mountain, from that little beginning, there grew a church. It was the Brown Mare Hollow Church. And the people came and they worshipped. Methodism was born and bred in the Sunday school. Began with John Wesley and his holy club. A distinguished fellow at Oxford University, he and fellow students came together at four o'clock in the morning and they studied the Bible and they talked and they went out and cared for the needs of people. And after his heartwarming experience on Aldersgate Street, the first thing he did was to have class meetings and he gathered the people together in homes and in small groups. They came every week and they read the Bible and they talked about it and they opened up with their feelings and they found a depth of spiritual growth that they never dreamed possible for themselves. And it spread throughout all of England and Ireland and Scotland and finally it planted its roots in America. Methodism was born in America in the class meetings and from there it soon became a church. It was Robert Rakes who began the Sunday school as we know it today. He did it in London where he went from home to home and found kitchens large enough to hold children and he would pay the homeowner to open the kitchen to children. And then he would go out into the places where the children impoverished who had to work for a living in the sweat houses. And he brought them there and gave them a coin if they'd come to Sunday school. 
And after a while they came because they were getting something they couldn't find anywhere else. And the American frontier grew with the establishment of Sunday schools out into these wilderness mountains, over the rivers and into the valleys. The circuit riders came. There were no churches and they built rude shelters and they met in homes and under the shade of the trees. They only came once or twice a year, but while they were gone, the people came together with their Sunday school and they kept it alive. And the church grew and expanded through the Sunday school in ways it could never grow otherwise. And when Robert Rakes came to John Wesley, his dear friend, and told him what he was about, John Wesley said, this might be, well be the greatest tool in the hand of the church for evangelism. And so it is. The Sunday school is the best bargain you'll ever find. Caught as we are in a nation with spiraling inflation, growing national debts, burdening taxes, uncertainties about school systems where in neighboring counties we read of schools closed down, teachers on strike because there's no money. But you come to the Sunday school and there's no tuition. There's no charge for textbooks or school supplies. There's no salaried teachers. You come and you sit under the best minds that there are. You read from the best literature that's available. You sit in the company of people who have ambitions and ideals that are worthy and similar to your own. And it doesn't cost a dime the greatest free gift that you can ever find. But more than that, it's the training ground for lives that are unlike any other. The children come to the nursery. There, nursery workers tenderly cuddle them in their arms with smiling faces. Love emanates into the arms and fingers and floods into the lives of these little children who for an hour sit and are held and cared for by people who love them, asking nothing except the joy of holding a little baby and loving it. And kindergarten comes and the children come and long before they can read and write, they learn about Samson and Moses and Samuel, David, and they learn about a carpenter of Nazareth who went about doing goods. And their little minds begin to shape personalities that are worthy for their lives to emulate. And long before they learn how to read about them, their lives are filled with them because of loving teachers who tell the stories in ways that capture their imagination and they never lose those images that are so lovingly shaped into their minds. And then the elementary school children come. They've been in the classroom and they've been learning the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And now they get the fourth R, the most important one of all, religion. And they begin to see that there's a part of life that cannot be taught in the classroom that is such an imperative for living. And they begin to stretch their minds and spiritual concepts. And then the youth come. And then men like Dewey Strange sit and teach them the rules for living that come out of experience and love and knowledge. And MYF counselors who come in the evenings 
surrendering their own time, surrendering their own rights in order to give to young people, telling them how to counter the pressures and the influences that are surrounding them in a world, in a society that is crumbling ethically and morally and imprinting upon the young minds of our teenagers, calling them into directions that are life-destructive, here is that balance that teaches them what is really lasting and true and giving them strength by which they can say no, not by word, but by conviction. And the young adults come who are just starting their families and starting in their careers, and they come and they share their insecurities with one another, and they get support from one another as they build themselves into the strength of the community. And in the middle years, comes the times of evaluation as they study the Bible and talk about their own lives and measure the worth of what they've accomplished and look at the dreams that are yet to be realized. And then in the retirement years, they come and find the family that has faded, children grown up and gone away, jobs no longer demanding of time. And here comes a real family all over again, people to love you and care for you and reach out and touch you and send you food when you get sick and visit you when you're in the hospital. It's a family that has grown from the time of nursery into the golden years of life. There's nothing like it. There's nothing in the world that can begin to match it. And life comes from that kind of living. Jesus was a teacher. We call him many things, but he was called most of all a teacher. And he taught on the hillsides, and he taught by the seashore, and he taught in the temple, and wherever he went he taught. And the last words that he spoke before returning to the Father was, Go into all the world and teach what I have taught you, and I'll be with you. We salute our church school officers and teachers this morning for a job that is so important that no price can be put upon it. It's energy and time given out of the love for God and for people.